Do you ever wish you had a friend on speed dial that just happens to be one of the world's best interior designers? Or someone you could DM all your burning design dilemmas to? At The Expert, we set out to give you one-on-one -on -one access to the industry's biggest talents and brands. And now we're pulling back the drapes. Welcome to The Expert Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Arnold, interior designer and co-founder of The Expert. This season, I'll be talking with designers and founders behind some of the most exciting interiors and brands to give you an all-access look at an industry that's been closely guarded for decades, but not anymore. Each episode, we'll be unpacking all things design, from nailing down the best vintage, avoiding costly mistakes, and creating a home that feels comfortable and timeless. So sit back and tune in you're going to want to take some notes. This is the Expert Podcast. Sophie Ashby's career is one to watch. In 2021, she was named House and Gardens Designer of the Year and L Decoration British Interior Designer of the Year. And that was only the beginning. Since then, she co-founded the non-profit United in Design, started her brand Sister by Studio Ashby, opened up a gorgeous London showroom and is gearing up for the launch of her book published by Rizzoli in 2024. That's on top of having two kids and running her interior design business with high profile projects all over the world and a staff of 15. Her London home has been featured everywhere from Vogue to Architectural Digest and she's done it all before the age of 35. This is going to be a great one so let's get into it. I am so excited to have you today, Sophie. It's just such a dream of mine to be able to pick your brain. And I feel like there's so much kinship between us, both born in London, but also working in the States. And I'm just so excited to have you here. Oh, you're so sweet. I'm so thrilled to be here. It's really exciting. And I'm a podcast addict and I've listened to several with you on and you always are so generous and open and sharing. And I'm going to try and do the same for you today. It's so amazing because, I mean, you started nearly 10 years ago when you were 25 years old, which is insanely young. And I know that's the part calling the kettle black because that's the same with me. But what was it when you started that you really wanted to go into interior design? I think my story is similar to other designers I've come to know, which is a childhood of moving around a lot and that kind of importance of home. I think when you move around a lot, you realise that the four walls that you call home with your family and those possessions that get packed up and unboxed every time start to carry a lot of weight and emotional value. I think it was a nomadic childhood that drew me to the idea of being an interior designer and the importance of home and I was one of those irritating people who, aged sort of 16, 17 at school, had had made that decision. <laughs> Everything else just fell into place to get to that plan. Um, no, it's, it's, it's so true. I think a lot of designers, you move your room around a million times. Did that impact your spaces growing up every time you moved? Because there's such a sensibility to your work that I can see the through line. And so I'm curious how much that impacted that. Yeah, it was a big impact, really big. And I think of the places that we've lived as a family, 
as four big chapters. There was eight years moving around London and there was like three or four years in South Africa and then there were all my teenage years in deepest, darkest Devon, which is like the West Country <laughs> in a tiny village, just when I really needed my freedom. So then I moved out as a teenager and went to uni and moved out of home. And then my parents moved to Portugal. So they've been in Portugal for the last 14 years or something um, in, the, in the south, in the Algarve. And now you're coming to the States a lot more yeah. and have a lot of projects over here. So I feel like we have that in common. And I'm so interested if someone from London, when you come to the US, what is the biggest difference when you're working with clients? What would you say is like the underlying ask that people have when they work with you versus in Europe or in London? It, it is so different. And it's been a sharp learning curve. It's one of those things that you th assume is quite logical, straightforward, and just an easy extension of what you're already doing. Um, and then you get into the detail and the grit of it all and discover everything, absolutely everything is different. On a UK or European project, we'd have the architect and a project manager, and then we'd have a separate person who's a specialist in the numbers and the budgets and the, the QS role. Yeah. Um, and in the States, it's the, the role of the project manager, but it's true, though, it's in terms of the workload, there is all those layers and less specialty in certain ways. Yes, exactly. I think we're used to it being like spread out a bit. Like on some projects, we would have an owner's rep, a project manager and a QS in the UK, mm. all separate, all doing their spreadsheets <laughs> to keep us all in, in line. Uh, Crushing dreams yes. is actually what their job is, honestly. Exactly. It's like... You want to do wanna what? Be, <laughs> yeah. I'm always like, now you get to the point where you want to meet with them first before I design. I'm like, you tell me what I'm not doing because I'm about to spend a year dreaming something amazing and you're going to crush my dreams. <laughs> so it's actually good that you don't have them here. So now you can do what you want. It's true. The dream crushing just happens quite late in the process. That's what we're <laughs> discovering. <laughs> It's true. But I'm just curious, in terms of clients, what is the big ask like when you come here? What's their habits? Do they spend more money on art? Because I know a huge part of what you do is so art-focused. Mm. And I feel like people, specifically maybe in the West Coast, is so different to the East Coast of their kind of level of interest in, in artwork. Yeah, our clients, we often think of them as like globalistas whether they're in america or europe or mm. hong kong we're dealing with a very similar person once you get to that high net worth individual who is lucky enough to have an interior designer do multiple homes i think right you're in a way dealing with a similar person and and so much of design thanks to instagram and pinterest and just everything being so digital has become more of a global aesthetic. So I feel mm. like the clients and the ask of the clients is probably not dissimilar anymore at a, at a certain level, wherever in the world they are. And I think the challenge is to create something distinct that suits that person and has a connection to, to the place that it's in rather than everything feeling quite homogenized. Yeah, just context-driven for sure. Yeah, I fully agree with that. I think the one thing that I notice is that everyone wants the American amenities. Yes. Of like all the appliances and all of that stuff, but they want like the European aesthetic and everything is hidden. So they actually, everyone wants the best of both. Yeah. So that is a whole different challenge. And I think you're right. I think design has become more global, but... That's what I love about what you do is it, it is so context driven. And when you look at 
some of the projects that you've worked on and the architectural foundation like when you look at your amazing showroom and offices which is in a beautiful old school and how you take that context and put your own spin on it. You're not afraid of color and bringing in incredible antiques and vintage pieces and artwork. And I just think you have such a great edit. Thank you. And I'm so excited because now you have a book coming out. I'm going through it right now. So I would love to hear your experience of putting it together and how you felt during the process. Because I know it can be like cathartic to go back and look at your projects, but also very scary and daunting (laughs) to look at work that you've done. So it's coming out in the new year in 2024, it will be, which is in line with our 10 year anniversaries. The business will turn 10. And I think I just, I made a big deal about turning five. (laughs) And I did a dinner for clients and people who'd really helped me get to that point. And I read some statistics, which I've now forgotten about how many businesses fail in the first like year. And if they didn't fail, then they're definitely going to fail by year five. So I just feel like you've got to wake up and celebrate and notice these milestone moments as they walk by. And I'm so guilty of always looking ahead to the future and thinking about the next thing and where I want to go and what's next. Mm. And it's really important to try to take a deep breath and acknowledge the the great things that are happening as they're happening. So when you started ideating about the book, had you aligned it with the 10 year anniversary or was just a very beautiful alignment? I think I felt like I didn't have the confidence to do a book until that point. I just Mm. felt we would be too wet behind the ears and too young to feel like we had the place in the world to plop a big coffee table book of our projects out there I just felt I needed to get to that point to feel like it was justified my place in the industry and that I feel like I really have something to say that's worthy of going in a book books to me are Mm. these beautiful precious things and I take them so seriously in a way I just didn't want to do anything too soon putting a book together you're so right I think it's such a it's such a point in time when you do have something to say how do you even pick what represents what you've been working on, what you believe in, what your philosophy is. Like, how do you distill that into chapters in a book? Because I know that's a huge part of the storytelling. I know, it's so hard. And I think with everything I do, I'm sure so many people are similar, where you start from a position of thinking, I really want this to be so different and so unique. And somehow I am going to think of a way of doing a Rizzoli book about interiors in an entirely different way. Yeah, I was like, I want all... I was thinking actually of Cabana magazine, which is such an exquisite Uh, magazine. And the pages are different and you go from this kind of paper to that kind of paper and the thing's wrapped in fabric. And I was just like embossed debossed this i want it all yeah and then you realize that that just doesn't make any sense to do that commercially and yeah yeah budget back to the budget (laughs) back to real life yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) (laughs) yes and it is just a beautiful interiors book wrapped in normal book cloth with normal paper (laughs) well i'm sure it's absolutely (laughs) stunning i would love to hear from you about your charitable work which i just think is so amazing and I wanted to hear about United in Design. It's so impressive to to shift your focus and time onto something that really helps others, especially in an industry that has really not evolved so much in its diversity over the years. 
Yeah, it was not something that I planned to do. It was in the wake of the George Floyd murder and the Black Lives Matter movement. And I just took some time to really think about what I was doing as a business owner to make sure that I run a diverse and inclusive business. And I concluded quite quickly that I wasn't really doing enough. And I think if you can start from admitting that are you mentoring? Are you creating opportunities for people? Are you opening doors? Are you rallying with your peers to, to create opportunities? And there's so many things that you could do. So it started from a place of having a good look in the mirror. And I'm married to a black man and my children are mixed race. And I just felt like I'd been a bit asleep somehow, despite all of that. But in terms of how I was running my business, I just... I was just, we were putting out job adverts and sometimes 50 people would apply and not one of those people was a person of colour, so we didn't hire a person of colour. I was honest with myself about all of that stuff and I started having some really good conversations and long story short, I met Alex Dawley and together we decided to to create this charity after digging around and scratching around to discover there wasn't really a solution out there for mm. us. And so United in Design puts the businesses at the front of change. So you and me and everyone who runs their own design studio or their supplier or we're also nimble and agile because we're the founders and we run our own businesses. Mm. And if you want to do something and make a change, you can just do that instantly and things start changing. Mm. It's not like a big hierarchical institution. Right. <laughs> and so that's what it is. We've got businesses to sign up essentially to the charity to take a pledge to do better and we help them do better. So we provide opportunities for apprenticeships, work experience, internships, mentoring. We provide div diversity and inclusion training. I think it's really so true and such an honest conversation to look at your, to look at when you are a small business owner you have so much flexibility but also responsibility to act fast in certain decisions when you need to expand your team and give opportunity and I think to that point just really taking a step back and really looking at what those opportunities look like and how to make a change. I think it's like really amazing that you've done that. I think with all of what you've achieved from having an incredible design studio, with, which is like so creative and constantly evolving to having <laughs> the amazing products that we have on the expert, which I'm a huge fan of, and then having this charitable work. I just think it's very impressive to see across the board. Do you ever have a pinch me moment where you just sit or you're walking around or, or in the car or flying somewhere and you're like, what is your life? Oh, I, do you know what? This building, the Blue Coat School, where we have our showroom, the day that I turn up here and I don't go, oh my God, this place is just insane. I need to just check myself because <laughs> <laughs> it's a grade one listed. It's built in 1709, school owned by the National Trust. We, It's right next to Buckingham Palace. It's like this gorgeous little gem. It's got to be one of the prettiest little buildings in London. We've got windows on all four sides. We've got nine meter high ceilings. I don't think life gets much better to work in <laughs> that environment. So that's a daily reminder. I need to come see that when I come to London. Please come. It looks amazing. But also when you worked on that, you couldn't touch any of the no. structural details. It was just like you got to move in. Yeah. 
say a prayer every day and make it your own? No, nothing. Literally, we have to do a planning application if we want to change the paint colour or put one screw in the wall. It's so <laughs> precious. But that's um, what I love about London and England yeah. is so we re- everyone really respects that level of architecture. So you get to enjoy it from the 1700s to now that like you're getting to relive it in this amazing space. And I think to your point, that's a reminder for you every day when you're creating and getting inspired. It's like you're doing doing it in the four walls that have been there for so many years. It's so interesting. I love that. Are you ready to design the home of your dreams, but just need a little help getting there? Whether you need personalized advice from a top interior designer or just want to shop a curated selection of furniture and decor, We've created the online destination for the best in home. Browse our roster of experts to consult on your next home project and get all of your design questions answered. From space planning and furniture selection to construction and remodel ideas, designers like Leanne Ford and Amber Lewis are just a video call away. Discover and shop for the best new and vintage furniture, rugs, lighting, and decor knowing that every single product was handpicked by the world's top designers. Pairing the chicest fabrics with the most comfortable and fail-proof pieces, you can shop with total confidence. Enjoy 10% off your first e-commerce purchase with code PODCAST10 at checkout at theexpert.com. Certain exclusions apply. If you're obsessed with design like us, you'll love The Expert. How would you describe some of those signature elements that you, obviously every project starts from scratch, what the client wants, what the context is, but what is something that you bring to all those projects that has a through line that anyone listening could get inspired by for when they're working on their own project? Just to figure out what is their their own aesthetic and and sensibility, because I think people really struggle with that. Mm. I know it is really hard to explain, isn't it? I always say with with contemporary architecture, the interiors have to work a lot harder. So if someone gives me a a box, a modern box, we're going to go for broke with the interiors. We're going to go big and big ideas and strong colour and lots of layering into the interior architecture and beautiful finishes. And that's where all of that stuff has Mm. a place and is given the airtime to really move you and do something but when you're doing historic buildings you have to be a lot more reserved I think all of those instincts to do more you pull them back because you're letting the building do its thing and there's a real opportunity for sort of true eclecticism because these Edwardian arts and crafts Victorian Georgian houses Mm. they were typically filled with things from all over the world so it just makes sense to me to do that that layering in of different things from different times yeah no I find that too like a lot of what we work on in LA our oldest building is like 1920s which is amazing to welcome but it's true as you let it do the talking and I think you see that across all of your work is where you've really chosen to edit and where you've also been more maximalist but it is that level of respect for a space Mm. that I think you have to bring to it 
out of all of your projects, what would you say? No one has their favorites. I know it's asking who's your favorite child, but what is a project (laughs) that you're really proud of and allowed you to push yourself to evolve stylistically? Mm, There's one that's in the book, which has been the hardest one to sit on and not show anyone, which is an incredible apartment in Paris. And when you think of an incredible apartment in Paris, it's that apartment. It's like the parquet floor, the French doors, the enfilade rooms flowing into Mm. each other, huge ceilings, beautiful court. It's just, it all feels like it can breathe. I'm a tall person. My husband's ginormous. Like, we just want to be in, like, tall spaces and lots of light. So that's a really special one. And we got to work with all of these amazing art artisans and sort of collaborators in in France and we've got it good in the UK no no dissing that but oh my god oh my god of course like (laughs) when I went last summer because that's the birthplace of so much artisanal work and just the detailing and the craftsmanship and also generations and family owned businesses that's the thing that France has I think just in in terms of design it's just that level of detail and quality and timelessness and I think it also comes through I think in the work as you can have something so simple but the way it's executed I think is a whole another level so what's inspiring you now you've got the book that's coming out you're working on all these projects you've got sister you've got your amazing charity so what's next and what's piquing your interest at the moment Oh my gosh, there's a definite kind of, I think I probably overdid it in the last few years. When you say it all like that. (laughs) Maybe you need to rest. The big takeaway there is I think probably I, I also had two children in the last three years. So I've probably bitten off a lot. And I, what my main ambition for the next half decade is just to keep it all going and keep it all be proud of the work that we're doing as a studio the boring answer is just look after it all and keep it all going and then in terms of what I'm fantasizing about in the future I think I really want to do more hotels we've started doing hotel Mm. work I'm just such a hotel addict myself me too Um, and spa hotel and spas hotel and spas I went to Pasolacqua it's just so insane and they've won hotel of the year quite rightly and it was such an extraordinary experience that I thought to myself this has got to be the best hotel in the world how do you beat it it's just got everything it's perfection perfection. so I'm glad that lots of other people have decided that is true and they've got this award but I just I find the idea of we know so much now about how people want to live at home and Mm. what's important Mm. to them And I think when you're talking about a luxury hotel, that's what I want to do. I think it's an extension of that experience at home. But what's exciting is it's taking it into a different mood. And and how you want to feel and what you want to be surrounded by is a bit different when you're in a hotel. Um, So, yeah. But it also weirdly, even when it's high end, it, dare I say, democratizes that design experience because everyone gets to experience it. Yeah. Whereas when you're just doing one person's home, it's not open for people to go have dinner there, go to the spa. Maybe you're not staying in that space, but you Mm. get to see it and be inspired by it. And I think that's what's so amazing about commercial spaces as it's just open to, to more people. Yeah, totally. And I like the idea and I feel like maybe having had hotel design 
be so in step with residential design for the last kind of decade everyone wants those two environments to be a reflection of each other it seems has been the trend I think the idea of things becoming slightly more thematic and strong in terms of storytelling and playful a hotel brief who wanted me to do something like that that would be exciting to just be really bold it's so exciting and I don't think that it's a boring answer to keep it all going and to be in gratitude and enjoying and taking care of people. I feel that times a hundred. I think it's always a time and a, a season where you sow the seeds and then reap the benefits and then you take care of them. So I think that is really exciting and I'm so happy for you. Before I let you go, we do talk about design dilemmas on this podcast and we let our listeners give us their dilemma. So I'd love for you to quick fire some of them with me. And I just want to ask, because I think a lot of people have written in, is wanting to know like how you hunt for all these vintage antiques and pieces and where to even begin that hunt. Yeah, obviously so much of it is on the internet, which makes her life so much easier now. But nothing beats the thrill of going to an actual real-life market and finding things. And we have so many good ones in the UK. We have Kempton and Ardingly that we go to really regularly. But having worked in Paris quite a bit in the past few years, we've been going to the ones there as well. And with terrible GCSE French and lots of enthusiasm and big smiles, you can have the greatest day of your life going around those markets and having some fruit and a glass of wine for lunch. And it is actually those moments as well, because it's so hard running a business. That's what we haven't said. And it is so hard. And I've got lots of people that I look after here. And I've got the most amazing team who make it all possible I know that sounds like a cliche but seriously I need them desperately it's hard graft and so when you are in the market in Paris on a sunny day having some chips and glass of wine outside having just secured some epic bargains yeah those are those moments as well where you're just like life is good this is where I want to be what like shopping for a living it's just good I know it's I couldn't agree with you more but I think it's true it's yeah online but I think people go to a little trip it's like always research what's available in that area but I agree to that I'd love being in Paris and walking around the market with some wines yes. <laughs> wines that's, that's that, when people say why do you do what you do it's because of that that's what, why we do <laughs> it, it. Is. so we can sh- where you can shop and get drunk that's the dream so quickly the design dilemma yes. is not a huge dilemma but more so people always ask they're asking what am I spending my money on because they've got to make a decision in their budget like I can't buy everything that they want so when they're starting a project where do you advise people spending their hard-earned money into pieces that are actually going to be impactful? I think a safe bet is antiques, vintage furniture and antiques. I think I wouldn't spend lots and lots of money as a portion on um, upholstery because it has a shorter lifespan. It gets knackered and needs to be replaced. Um, And art, I think, is a big one. That doesn't mean you need to buy a Picasso. It just means don't forget about the art. Don't do the whole Mm. room and then have blank walls because it just won't have a soul. Try to factor in at least one key piece. And it can be a £200 poster in a nice frame, but it's going to do so much for the room, is, is my feeling. 
Yeah. No, I think that's so true because I think with all the antiques and artwork, you can move with those and everything else is so specifically designed for that space. So I think that's true. Just buy stuff that you can keep with you forever and it has a story. Yeah. Because I think that's the thing is you do so much storytelling in all those pieces that you collect. And I think that's so interesting when you have and you entertain people and you're living in that space that you remember when I was in France, I got this piece or when I was just visiting my family, wherever they're from, and I went to this little antique shop, I think it just gives a lot of memory. So I love that. And then the last question is, what do you have the hardest time sourcing and do you wish there was more of in the world? Bedside tables. I was literally going to say this. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, that it, because it is. That I'm so fussy. And I, it's the one thing in the studio where the designers are trying to source bedside tables for a project and they can show me like 12 and I'll say no. no. Mm. But get back at it. (laughs) Your one is gorgeous that you have at Sister I Love. I think, but again, it's so true. It's finding bedside tables is so difficult for some reason I have no idea yeah and I feel like vintage ones are the best but I'm pretty sure I'm responsible for having bought all the good ones in the world for every (laughs) for all of our projects multiply it by three to seven bedrooms (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm responsible for the bedside table drought yeah it's all your fault (laughs) honestly it's been such a pleasure getting to chat with you it was such a joy and such a breath of fresh air of just having such an ease about everything you do that's so unpretentious and warm and inviting. That's so kind. It's been lovely and I'm so thrilled. I should say, I just love being on The Expert. That gives me joy. Doing those sessions, meeting people from Ghana to Malaysia, online, in my living room. Oh my God, I just love it. Well, we love having you on the platform. We get the most amazing reviews and I think (laughs) people are so fortunate they get to pick your brain for an hour and just speak and hear your lovely voice. (laughs) So it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. It's such a treat. And when I come to London, we'll do an offline with wine. Maybe I'll bump into you in Paris shopping. Yeah, that sounds great. Thank you so, so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening. The Expert Podcast is produced by Jessica Romperez, Ali Alkiza, and the Expert team, with special thanks to Gabrielle Savoie, Jake Hedeus, Drew Ariana, and Studio Jake Arnold technical support by Sonic Union and Graham Carpenter. Our music is by Alex Weinstein. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. If you have a design dilemma you'd like me and my guests to solve on the pod, send me a DM on Instagram at at jakearnold or at the expert to have a chance for your question to be answered in future episodes. And be sure to book a consultation with an expert, shop the best in home, and if you're a designer, apply to our trade program, all at theexpert.com. We'll be taking a week off for the holidays, but we'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. See you next time.